Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We live in a beautiful world, don't we? You know, so many things you look at. I mean, when, you, when the sun comes up or in the morning and it's bright and clear and you see flowers and the green and, right, I mean, in the blueness of the sky. I mean, so many things. It's just so beautiful, isn't it? Right? And yet we know that something about this world and that this world has been cursed by sin, hasn't it? We're going to see that this morning as we look at the text. Um, but so cursed by sin, but, but worse than that is this I'm going to use this word, this crud in our world. There's a lot of crud in the world, isn't there? In the form of sin, the things that go wrong, the things that we struggle with, and those things just keep coming into our lives. And so that's the reality. So then we, we receive Christ as Savior, and we become a Christian, and now everything is perfect, right? No? Well, the reality is something huge has changed, right? And, and we, we're going to be seeing some of that today, that what God has done in our lives. Uh, but the reality is that we still live in a sin-cursed world. And so, so stuff comes into our lives, you know, burdens, things that, that we don't know how to deal with. And so we cope. Right? You ever had anything like that in your life that happens and you really don't know how to make sense of it and you aren't sure how to respond, you don't know how to fix it, so you cope, right? You figure out how to get along and, and we do that and they, they just weigh on us and they, they create problems in our lives because we don't feel free to do things. And, and then sometimes we make bad decisions because we're afraid because of these things that are affecting our lives. And then on top of it all, we sin. We do stupid things, you know, and we're like, how did I do that? Why did I do that? That creates more problems. And so here we are, we've been saved and we have this sense that everything ought to be all right. And in in some ways, everything is all right once we come to Christ, but not the experience of our lives. That's still this stuff that's in this world in which we live. Now, God knows this. And he's, he's provided things for us to be able to make progress, to find ourselves experiencing freedom, to find ourselves being able to do better and not to be so controlled and to sin less. And in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives this long list of people who somehow, some way, made decisions to trust God. And immediately their lives were perfect, right? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. In fact, he tells us that some of these people got tortured, some of them were killed in different ways, and it didn't take away all the problems. But they made a decision that enabled them to go forward, enabled them to make progress, enabled them to begin to get free from the things that were holding them, enabling them to make better choices, fewer sinful choices, more good and right choices. And, and you say, well, how did that work? What, what do we do? And so... As, as the author of Hebrews transitions from chapter 11 to chapter 12, he says this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses talking about these people 
that he just told us about. People in the past who have lived for God, who have loved God, who have trusted God, who have been able to go forward. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let's look at their example. Let's be encouraged by it. Let us lay aside every weight. That's those burdens we were talking about, the things that just hang on us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, God has something for us to do in life and it's gonna require endurance. But man, when we look to these examples from the scripture, this cloud of witnesses, we can learn things that will enable us to set aside burdens, to say no to sin, and run this race and succeed at it, make it to the finish line. And so that's what we're gonna do this summer. We're gonna be looking at stories from the Old Testament, witnesses to how God works, what God is like, what difference it makes in our lives. And we're gonna start in a very logical place today. We're gonna start in the beginning. You're sharp, right? You're right on top of that, okay? So let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Genesis. Now, if you're new to the Bible or you, you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we encourage you to take one of the Bibles that are there in the chairs and um, I'm gonna give you the page numbers as you need them. We're gonna start on page number two. Page number two, so right at the very beginning of God's creative work. He's creating the world and all that is in it. <clears throat> And in chapter one of Genesis, starting in, in verse number 26, we see this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And when he says, let us, he's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, one God, and yet there is somehow rather an us in the one God, okay? And so this is who he's talking about. He said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, he isn't talking about a physical likeness like, like we see. Um, I'd hate to think that God looked like some of us. Like I look in the mirror, right? Um, so it's not talking about that kind of image. It's talking about an image of, of probably self-awareness. It's talking about an image of, of rational thought. It's talking about an image of, of the ability to make moral decisions. It's a likeness like that. A spirit, there's a spiritual dynamic to us. Okay? So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So all the animals and all the creeps. Um, well, not quite like that, is it? Hey, Everett, are you glad that God gave you dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air? Amen. Yeah. Everett's our hunter here, one of our hunters. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so God has created human beings. He created them in his image and put them in charge of creation to manage creation for his good purposes, okay? To use creation to accomplish the things 
the good things that he wants done. Now we get down to chapter two and chapter two begins to fill in some of the details. I mean, he tells us he created, but how did he do it? How did this work? So in chapter two, let's go down to verse number seven. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So God actually formed the first human, physically formed him and then brought him to life, okay? So, and then we get to verse number eight. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Move down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So one commandment. Does this seem like a pretty clear commandment? That's the only one. How many ways can you break the tax laws, do you think? I mean, if you have all the tax code and you print it out, it's what? It's like this huge stack, isn't it? There are so many ways you could break that thing and not, maybe not even be aware of it. And if you call the IRS and ask for guidance, what do they tell you? Well, they'll answer you, but what they say is that, they don't think they use the words, but this may or may not be right because if you make a mistake, you can't say, well, the IRS told me this is tough. They don't know it much better than you do, okay? So um, thank God that that isn't the, where he put man. When he put Adam and Eve, it made it very, very simple. One thing, obey me in this one thing. Well, what about all the other choices we have to make? Do what you want. One thing. Now, we have to be careful because have we ever known a world without sin in it? Have we? Have we ever known our own lives without being aware that there's sin in it? You know, once we became aware as, a, as we grew to a certain age, we've always known that. And so we tend to read back into this and think, you know, Adam had this sinful nature and wanted to disobey God. No, that isn't where they started. They weren't like that. So it's a little bit hard for us to get our head around this. But God gives one clear command. That's it. All right. And then um, we see how God brought the, the woman into this. And so we go down to verse 20. It says, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And, and Adam was understandably excited about this. He thought this was an awesome thing. Um, the Bible tells us that at this point they were both naked, not ashamed, right? There was no, see, once again, there's no sin consciousness, no self out of balance consciousness, none of that, okay? Everything is good and the way the Lord intended for it to be. Chapter three. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, if, if you walked out into your backyard, and first of all, how many of you really hate snakes and will run away if you see one? Okay. So, the rest of you. <laughs> 
You go out in the backyard and you see a snake and you go, oh, this is cool. And you walk over and you see the snake and the snake looks up and says, hey, how you doing today? Now you're going to run, right? Because <laughs> snakes don't talk. All right. But what experience did Eve have? The distance surprised her, right? I mean, why would it surprise her? She didn't know any different. She didn't have this long history of knowing animals don't talk and people do. And we also see as we go through and look at the rest of scripture, it becomes very clear that Satan was in this serpent, was in this snake. It was Satan who was speaking to Eve, using the serpent to do that, all right? So, middle verse one again, it says, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, is that what God said? Think, it's not that hard here. He gave the command, what, there was one tree not to eat, do whatever you want with all the other trees. It's one tree you can't eat from. And Satan through the serpent says what? Did God say you can't eat any of those trees from those trees? Not any of them? And Eve says, verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. No, we can eat them. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, does something sound out of whack there? Does it? Is that what God said? Halfway. Did he say, when we read what he said, he, he said, well, you can eat of any tree of the garden you want, except this one, don't eat of it. If you do, you're going to die. Where does this don't touch it come in? Where does that come from? I, I don't know. I mean, I have an imagination, and I, and I read this back into you know, uh, this story, and, and once again, you know, since I've never known a world that doesn't have sin and all that, I don't know that this is accurate. But just because of the way we are, I could see uh, God, I mean, Adam explaining this to Eve. Look, God has said we can eat any tree we want, but just not this one, we'll die. And she says, well, why can't we eat that one? Well, because God said not to, we're gonna die. Yeah. Well, why? What's, what's about that? And, and she keeps asking Adam. Adam finally says, look, just leave it alone. Don't even touch it. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, that's just me thinking about it that way. Um, but there was no sin, so the attitude probably didn't come through like that. Anyway, somehow or other, Eve has arrived at a conclusion that she's not supposed to even touch it. And that's going to work against her in a little bit. Okay? So let's read on. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. God's not telling you the truth. God's holding out on you. There's something better than what God is telling you. There's a better way. And he's undermining what God has said. And so Eve really has a choice here to make and, and, and we're gonna see in a minute, I believe Adam was here observing this whole thing. He's listening. Um, and yeah, well, let's just, just continue here. They have a choice to make. Are they going to believe what God said or not? Isn't that the choice, really? Are they going to believe God? 
Or are they going to believe this, what they've just heard? And then verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, so she is now believing who? The serpent, believing Satan, believing the lie. Now let me show you how this works. It says, when she, you know, desire will make one wise, she took of its fruit. What did she say God had said? She says, well, God said, no, you can't eat that tree. Don't even touch it, because if you do, you will die. Satan has sowed the seeds of doubt into her mind, and she's wait a minute, I don't know, you know, this does look like a good thing and it, if it can make me wise and like God, isn't that a good thing? She starts rationalizing, believing this thing that Satan has told her that contradicts what God says and says, and she reached out and she took it and when she took it, guess what happened? Nothing. She didn't die. Oh. Might as well do what? Okay. Do you see the danger of making our decisions without accurate knowledge of what's really true? You see how that sets us up? Sets us up for all sorts of fall problems. Okay? It's really important that we know what God really says and know what he doesn't say. Right? We, there's lots of times we get caught up with things and you'll hear things. People say, well, God this and God that. You say, well, wait, wait a minute. That isn't, that isn't really what God says. And, and when we make decisions on the basis of things that God didn't say, we end up with the results that God didn't intend for us to have and which we really don't want to have. All right. So it says there, she took of its fruit and ate. She didn't believe God. Adam didn't believe God at this point. She also gave to her husband with her, he's there with her, and he ate. Then, once Adam ate. Now, I didn't get this text too technically as it went by, but who did God give the command to not to eat? Give it to Adam. He had not yet made Eve. Gave it to Adam. Now he makes Eve, and now Eve eats, and then it says, when Adam ate, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Okay, so God had put Adam in charge. Okay, Adam is the responsible one. And once Adam chooses to disobey God, Eve had disobeyed God, but then when Adam disobeyed God, it says, both of them experienced, all of a sudden, everything has changed. Can you imagine that awareness of sin for the first time like that? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so what before, when they were created, they were naked, there was no thought of this even being any issue because it wasn't, because there's no sin. There's no problems, and now all of a sudden, boom, they become so aware of themselves and so conscious of themselves that it's, you know, it's all of a sudden it's You know? And they were naked before each other and more than just physically. It was this whole, all of a sudden now, 
whoa, you know, what do you think of me? What are the, uh, just this, it was disaster. And they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they're trying to fix the problem now, right? Isn't that what human beings do? <laughs> we make a mess of our life before God and then we try to fix the problems our way. And that's what they were trying to do. And of course the Lord comes looking for them. He knows where they are, he knows what's happened, but he asks them questions about what's going on. And, and this one says, well, you know, she did this. And she says, well, the serpent did this and a lot of finger pointing. And so verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. We're gonna skip over verse 15 for a minute. Go to verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. By the way, that is not God telling us how it's supposed to be. That is the result of sin. It wasn't intended to be that way. It's never intended that, that the man would rule over the woman. But this is what happens in relationships because almost always the, the, the woman in a marriage relationship is looking to the man for, for certain things. She's looking for assurances and, and love and, and, and she wants this intimacy with him. And a man by nature tends to feel a little threatened with that. And so he does one of two things. He typically either pushes back aggressively and dominates because he's not open to that, or he becomes passive and ignores it and doesn't respond. And even as Christians, we struggle with those tendencies. And so what was intended to be this wonderful, blessed relationship, the having of children, bearing of children, a husband relationship, now becomes a hard thing because they didn't believe God, because they chose to sin against God. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. And so, you know, I, I think that this curse he's talking about, it's not just for the dirt, it's for the very elements of creation themselves. Everything that everything's made of now has it's been injured by the curse of sin. Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Wow, some pretty bad stuff, huh? Now, I've got a question for you. When Adam and Eve ate, why didn't they die? Or did they? Yes, they did die. And we see the end result of that here. Because remember when God created man in his own image, that included that man was a spiritual being? We are spiritual beings, not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And, and what we are like on the inside, really who we are, the core of our being, affects everything going out. And so here they were before God, and when they sinned against God and disobeyed God, that spirit died to God. It didn't go out of existence, but it became dead to God. There was no relationship. There was no connection between them. There was no life in the person anymore. And so what happens? That works its way out into life, and what will eventually happen to the body? It will die. 
And that's what he just told Adam. This is where you're headed. You're going to die. Your body's going to die. You're already dead spiritually. It's, it's going to create all sorts of problems in you. It's messed up creation. It's messed up your relationship with your wife. And this is the deal. And you start to say, man, what's the hope? <laughs> it is pretty dark, isn't it? And actually, if you look at the world around you, it doesn't take very long to see that it's pretty dark. But the good news is God hasn't left us there. Let's go back to verse uh, 16, verse 15. God says, speaking to serpent, through Satan, to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, and your seed meaning your descendants, and her seed, her descendant. Is it capitalized in your Bible? Yeah, because it's referring to Christ who was to come. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet. And, and it's, God has said, I am going to send a redeemer who is going to deal with you once and for all. And yes, you are going to bruise his heel. Which would you rather have, a wounded heel or a smashed head? Take the wounded heel, right? Because one is you live with others permanent, right? And so what we, we, this actually becomes even more uh, symbolic when Christ is hanging on the cross. You know, when they put the nails, we read that they put the nails in the palms of his hand and his feet, and, and we tend to think it's here and, and in the, you know, the top of the foot. But that's not the way they did it. Because in, in their understanding, the palm of the hand, it's, it's all of this whole area. And so what they would do is right here at the base of the hand, that's where they would drive the nails. Because you put it here, it'd rip out your hand. But they put it here and it doesn't. And so you hang. But, so they didn't put it through the foot either. They put it through right here. Behind the Achilles tendon there. On the heel. Yeah, Satan, you will what? Bruise his heel. But he's gonna on your head. God promised the Redeemer. Now, did, did Adam deserve this? Did he deserve a redeemer? No, think, can you imagine? I mean, my sin messes me up and it messes people up in my life. How many people's lives has Adam's sin messed up? Everybody's. That's huge. God would have certainly been all well with us. He said, not only have you disobeyed me, that is worthy of death and that is worthy of eternal condemnation. You have messed up the whole world for everybody who will ever live. Man, you deserve. But tell you what, I'm going to redeem you. The undeserved mercy of God. It's amazing, isn't it? And what I would say to you is if God can save Adam, he can save all of us. And before we're too hard on Adam, I think Scripture's pretty clear that we look through it and see it that, that if I had been in Adam's place, guess what I would have done? The same thing. So it's not just about blaming Adam, right? It's the way we are. We need a savior. And thankfully God has provided us with this. Now, I've spent a lot more time on this than I intended, so I'm gonna, just Mitchell know I may adjust here on the fly, okay? Um, that's all right. God has the right to change what we're doing, doesn't he? Okay. First of all, I want to say to you, you, know, you, you, you 
might hear and think, well, man, you know, aren't scientists today saying everything evolved, everything's happened by chance, that way we evolved creatures from simple life forms to bigger life forms, and then how does Adam and Eve fit in all this? Okay, first of all, if, if you're really doing good science, you can't, you don't arrive at those conclusions, okay? Uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, and if we start with understanding what the Bible says and then look at the scientific evidence, it matches what God says. We all have the same evidence. There's no different evidence. And so when we look at it from this perspective, we see that it does indeed match. Shouldn't surprise us. But here's the bigger thing. We get to the New Testament and this man named Jesus who, who says, you know, I'm going to die and then three days later I'm going to rise. And nobody had ever done that before. Nobody's ever done it since. He did it. And he said, this verifies my claim that I am who I say I am. I am the son of God. I am, you know, the redeemer. I, I, and he did it. Do you think he knows something? Do you think he might? The one who rose from the dead, who predicted his death and resurrection and did it. Yeah, he knows something. And we go to the New Testament, we look at how Jesus, Jesus believed the Old Testament. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. And so we can too. I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. All right? Now, also understand this, that uh, sometimes people outside of the faith do misunderstand this, and it could come into us, is that sometimes uh, people get the idea, well, you're only saying it's true because the Bible says so. But what's the Bible? Here's something we need to get a hold of in our understanding, and so we can communicate as needed. When we find something in the Bible, let me ask you, if you find it, the Bible says something true, is it? Is it? Okay. Here's what you gotta understand. It's not true because the Bible says so. The Bible says so because it's true. See the difference? In other words, just because words are written down somewhere doesn't make anything true. But the fact that it's true is why God wrote it in the Bible. So he tells us what's really true. All right, so this understanding of Adam and Eve and this really happening really matters. It's part of the doctrine of things that we believe. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, we've all sinned ourselves. Uh, and then Romans 5 and verse 18 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's Adam resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Who's that man? Jesus, that's right. So in Adam, what do we have? Judgment, condemnation. But in Christ, we have justification and life. Adam was the head of all humanity. God put him in charge. He messed up. And it messed everybody and everything up. Well, guess what? God became a man to get right what Adam got wrong. Okay? Does you starting to see the difference here? Adam blew it. We've all experienced it. God comes as a man, and now he gets it right. He says no to the serpent, to Satan. Romans 5, 19, the next verse is, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, all were, or many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This is in Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's page 1324.
We're going to start in verse 21, page 1324, chapter 15, verse 21. It says, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So here we go, Adam, death, and then Christ, the resurrection. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, anybody who's in Christ, all shall be made alive. Jump over to verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, okay, a physical being, right, a material being. God made him. Where am I? The last Adam. Who's the last Adam? Jesus, that's right. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The, The salvation, the eternal life, The Holy Spirit living within us that he gives us. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, human. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so what we have is two distinct concepts. One is in Adam. We are in Adam's heritage, in Adam's line, okay? The past, the future. When we are in Adam, that's the way we are by nature. And by nature, we inherited death, spiritually, being spiritually dead to God from Adam. We inherited a nature that tends to want to go our own way and do our own things. Not, we don't do everything wrong, right? But, but we're connected to Adam and everything that happened. And going forward, our destiny is Adam. It's death, physical death, and then second death, spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. That's what we have in Adam, all right? Well, Christ came. And what, what's his past? It's not a trick question, but it's, it's always what holy, always righteous, always good, always loving. I mean, all those things. And the future, eternity, same way. And when he was here on earth, he got it right, got it perfect. And we know the story, he died for us on the cross, taking the penalty, all the sins of the entire race of Adam, from the past all the way future, taking all those sins and dying for them, okay? Paying that penalty in full so that we will by faith receive Christ as Savior. He forgives all those sins, gives us eternal life. And and as we saw, he's a life-giving spirit. He moves in and gives us eternal life. All right, so here's what happens. We are born, we're conceived and born and live in Adam until that day, that moment, that time where we finally say, I get it. I have sinned against God. I can't fix this problem. I'm headed for eternal hell, which is what I deserve. But Jesus died for me, rose again, and I'm going to trust him. And what, you know, God does at that point in time? He takes you and picks you up out of the line of Adam and put you into Christ. Now, we get that when we think of it this way. That means, okay, good, my sins are forgiven, right? And heaven, and we think from here on forward. But I want you to see something. This is crucial. Now that I'm in Christ, 
What past am I linked to? I mean, when I'm in Adam, whose past am I linked to? I'm linked all the way back to Adam and all the sin and all the crud and the junk and everything that's here. I have a link. I'm connected to that. But when he puts me over here, guess what? My past is now Jesus' past. I am disconnected from all that. Now, does that mean I didn't do that stuff? No. Does that mean stuff didn't happen to me? No. I remember that. But guess what? It no longer has any right to hold me, to control me. We've not only been freed from the penalty of sin, we have been freed from the power of sin. And one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. God's gonna change us all, we'll go to heaven. But so here we are, and here's what I want you to see is that Almost all of the problems that you struggle with, these, the, the weight that so easily, you know, that, how, did, how did it say there in Hebrews, the weight you know, that we carry and the sin that so easily ensnares us, you know almost all of that comes because here we are in Christ, but we're still thinking, believing, and acting like we are what? Still in Adam. I guarantee you. When you find yourself burned, overwhelmed, I don't know how I can do this, and I'm scared, and blah, 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 blah. you're thinking your past is still connected to Adam, but it's not. It's with Christ. You can actually make a different choice. You can believe something different. You aren't stuck with it anymore. This is huge. And so, this transition, this, this change, I'm in Adam, I receive Christ, now I am in Christ, no longer in Adam, in any spiritual heritage kind of thing, here I am. Um, that happens instantly, okay, instantly. My thinking still has to change. My memories have to be properly interpreted. And we have to begin to believe the truth of what God has said about what it now means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Every sin forgiven, the power of sin broken, I can make a different choice. God himself lives within me. I, I can begin to think differently. I don't have to keep thinking those same stupid, stinking things that have controlled me day in and day out. In a marriage relationship, when you're both Christians, you can say, wait a minute, why are we thinking that way? Why are we doing, let's, let's go with God here and let's figure this out. But what I wanna say is this part is process. This is the rest of your life process. And you can make huge progress, but it is a process. And, and the biblical word is sanctification, okay? All right, so we're gonna stop there. I think it becomes pretty clear um, that it's really important for us to understand what happened in Adam, what we got because of it, but what God has done when he saved us and put us in Christ. That's huge. And did Adam deserve to have mercy? But God showed him what? Mercy, undeserved mercy. Did you and I deserve mercy? No, but God has done what? Moved us over and showed us undeserved mercy. Believe it. Believe God. Don't do like Eve and believe a lie. Believe God.
and walk out of here today and say, okay, God, help me to know what this means and how to live it. And by the way, that's why we need each other to be helping each other and growing with each other and praying. For Sermon's over. I've got to stop. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word.